welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Brigadier General Gent Welsh, the commander of the Washington Air National Guard. In this episode, we talk about what the Washington Air National Guard is, what their current mission sets are, and his vision for the future. Enjoy! Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay, so today. Joe is here. Hey. And we are going to talk to Brigadier General Gent Welsh. And he is the Washington Air National Guard commander. That's it. That's it. The A tag, the assistant to the Adjutant General Air. Do you have any other fancy titles? Uh, let's see. Dad, husband, um, horrible driver at times. All right. And, uh, That's fair. Sometimes the deputy director of the military department. All right. Yeah. That works. Uh, so why don't you give us a brief summary of your career? So just rolled over 32 years this wow. year. So uh, enlisted uh, in 1988. Almost as old as me. Exactly. Yeah, it was one of those things when I ran into the first person that was born <laughs> uh, the same year I enlisted in the Air Force. But no, so uh, very proud of my enlisted time. So yeah. enlisted in 1988. I uh, went off to basic training and uh, first assignment was at RAF Lakenheath in the United Kingdom. So right in the middle of the Cold War, actually the, the tail end of the Cold War. So spent two years guarding uh, airplanes and nuclear weapons in England and uh, having a great time that only a single person can have in England. And then uh, went to uh, Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane and that's what really brought me to Washington State. So. 90 to 92 at, uh, at Fairchild, and then left active duty and went right into the Guard at the time. And then program called Palace Front, and that brings you directly to the Guard without a break in service. Okay. And joined the 111th ASOC here as an intelligence uh, specialist, and that was 92, so 92 to 94. I uh, did that and then got my commission in 94, and then started on as a full-timer in 97, back over in Spokane at the... Uh, 256 Combat Com, which is now an Intel squadron, and then was there until, boy, 2005, took a command at the 242 uh, Combat Com, and then in 2008 came over here as the deputy group commander for the 252 Combat Com unit, which is now a network warfare group, and then just kind of uh, been over here working working my way through the system, uh, and uh, here I am as the ATAG. And you were Big the surprise. 194th wing commander too, right? I was. Okay. That was the job right before this. Yeah. And he was the joint chief of staff prior to that even. Uh, yada, yada, yada. A lot yeah, of lots, the last lots of positions. 10 years probably. Yeah. I'm I'll actually more proud of my first four than probably my <laughs> last 10. <laughs> well, they were probably more fun, more engaged, less paperwork. A lot less stress. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. building experiences. Those, those first few years in England probably were, yeah, those were probably the memory years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like know. a salmon, you know, you're imprinted for the first, you know, a couple of years and then you know instinctively which stream you want to hit. So, there you go. 
That's why so many aviators choose to be warrant officers, though, <laughs> so they, they can continue flying planes because that's exactly. the cool stuff. Because, yeah. you know, officers get to sort of fly planes after they hit major, but mostly they're riding that disc. Yeah, very true. Yeah, we see that a lot yeah. on the Army side. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so what is the Washington Air National Guard? What is it? What is it? Well, it's uh, about 2,135 folks that are uh, really broken up on, on in, in two neat buckets, really. On, on the east side, uh, you've got the 141st Air Refueling Wing uh, and the 256 uh, Intel Squadron and 242 Combat Com. And then you've got uh, the units on the west side, so really the, the 194th Wing, which is really an Intel sort of special warfare cyberspace wing, sort of uh, all, all together in one. And then you've got our Western Defense Sector. Uh, so basically, um, you've got uh, both sides of the state covered that way. And uh, um, what platforms, because uh, I know we have some uh, aviation platforms, what, what do we have? So um, really, uh, we actually have only two airplanes okay. assigned to the Washington Air National Guard. One is on a stick out in front of uh, the, the CVI gate here <laughs> at Camp Murray. It's so beautiful. That is, is uh, collecting mold and, and uh, moss as we speak. And the other is our RC-26 Condor, which is our um, counter-drug platform that flies out of Spokane. Everything else that the Washington Air Guard flies is sort of a, uh, I would say, a, a sort of leased airplane uh, from the active duty. Yeah, that agreement, uh, that total, total force. That's a total force integration agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in some ways we have to beg, borrow, and steal what we can fly over there. Right. Which is unfortunate. But the one in in, in the front here in Camp Murray used to be beautifully backed against Rainier at certain angles, and now just a huge bridge. Uh, and, and lots of, uh, yeah. graffiti tagging probably yeah, in the probably future. In the br- on the bridge, to a bridge for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. already starting to, it has already it started. But I would love to get that, that aircraft in some way and maybe even the, the tank relocated to our front gate, mm. uh, where yeah. actually people can see them because that, that aircraft is kind of tucked in between kind of the bridge and, and the, uh, the on-ramp now going, going yeah, south. With the so new, you don't see it. With the new construction, it's definitely exactly a little hidden. Awesome. Um, so what, what are the, the big missions of those two wings? So, uh, obviously air refueling on the east side of the state. So being an associate unit, uh, the 141st is essentially doing everything that the, the host wing, the 92nd air refueling wing is doing. So, um, all the, uh, all the overseas deployments, they're sort of, um, hand in hand with all the exercises, all the local exercises there. Uh, and then, uh, again, our two, uh, what we call geographically separated units, the 242 and the 256. 242 does combat communications. Uh, really the last, uh, I would say the last unit standing of a pretty a long, uh, long legacy of combat combat in the state. Um, and we're just really down to one unit now. And then our, our 256 Intel Squadron does some really great, uh, I would say, sort of uh, network uh, cyber type intelligence missions. Um, don't want to go into too many of the details. They're all classified, but yeah. it's a really cool yeah. unit, and it's it's truly a national treasure to have that kind of talent and that kind of capability in, in the state of Washington. Um, it's just uh, it's just a shame we can't brag on all the really cool things that they do. I know, right? So, and then certainly on the on the west side of the state, uh, the easy one is is Wads to explain. Uh, they basically control all the airspace from the Mississippi River west. Um, call sign is Bigfoot. And uh, you'll see that on our 
Washington A and G headquarters patch. Big statue when you go in the building. Big Sasquatch. Um, but uh, a really, really great unit. Um, really, a mission that's that's in some ways more suited, more towards an active duty type uh, of mm-hmm. a mentality. Um, you know, it was an active duty unit uh, back in in really the early '90s, and, and its history is is all active duty from from First Air Force on up. But it's it's a guard mission now. But most of the folks are are, are all AGR that work there. So heavy, heavy, heavy full time presence. And then you get uh, up here on Camp Murray to the 194th wing. Again, we talked about just leaving there. But uh, really, um, you know, and, and when the Air Force calls a, a wing a wing instead of a fighter wing or a, uh, air refueling wing in front of it, it it's sort of a, a representation of it's capturing a lot of different mission sets. And really kind of the heavy hitters at the, at the 194th are the 252 um, Cyberspace Ops Group, the COG. Uh, about 500 folks, so that particular unit alone is is about 50% of the entire strength of that wing. And we did a great podcast with Colonel Borchers did last year okay. on their mission. Yep, and he he replaced me up there, so yeah. I'm very very familiar with that one. And then of course we've got our our 194th uh, ASOG, which is Air Support Operations. So they're the TACPs that are out there controlling airstrikes with the Army and. And, um, and and really doing that, that's really one of the primary joint service type. We know that they're got. secretly just only at the gym. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> they do like the gym. All they, the time. They do like the gym. They but, have a uh, very nice facility from what when, I hear. When you actually go through their uh, physical uh, training and, and their PT test, if you will, uh, it's a lot different than, than ours in the Air Force and that. They need all the time in the gym they can get. Right. So, And then we've got our support group, uh, 184th MSG up there that – Basically supports pretty much everything that, uh, that that goes on in the wing, but but really that's one of our heavy lift uh, domestic ops units, and then our medical group up there, um, taking care of all the medcom, making sure our medical readiness is where it needs to be, and uh, uh, we're up on all the shots. And they have a small security forces element too, right? They do. Uh, it's it's a flight right now. Um, you know, it's sort of like the Pinocchio. You know, they're going to be a real boy soon right. at, at some point. <laughs> um, uh, they but they are do like SPP they, missions and they stuff. They do. Yeah. They do. But uh, I think the real neat thing about the security forces flight here is the, that they're projected to grow. Uh, that was okay. one of the only growth areas that I think we've seen in the Air Guard in this state really in the last couple of years. But they're projected to grow and, and really they're going to be a very vital part of uh, this joint security initiative that we've got on, on Camp Murray, which essentially, uh, long story short, is going to allow us to, to open up the back gate oh. and, and, oh. yes. and uh, circulate with uh, JBLM again. But but really, it's about trying to uh, take the best of breed from, from the Air and the Army and the, and the State Guard Force that we have and and really kind of get with the program on security on, on Camp Murray. It's... it's yeah. um, it's been something that I think the boss has been concerned about for years, and this allows us to kind of put a lot yeah. more manpower towards it. It's so tough, though, because of the whole way that the guard and the Camp Murray mm-hmm. and who owns what is set up. It's it's a it's a it's a patchwork yep. uh, structure. I mean, literally, we're having to go through land swaps to trade uh, state land. Let's just say along the perimeter, right. which is a state piece of property. Right. Uh, we have to convert that to a federal piece of property, and we have to convert the land that, that surrounds the front gate to federal property. Uh, so the security forces folks right. here in Army have the authority to, to, yeah. to do something yeah. if something happens. So it's it's, it's crazy, but uh, Adam Awazic at CFMO and, and Colonel Lita Rakra, our garrison commander, have been uh, doing some really great work to get this thing pulled off. Awesome. Plus all yeah. the 
I know all of all of us runners here are going to be super pumped when that back gate <laughs> opens back up. <laughs> well, it's just it's it's you when know, we get more than the three mile loop. It's, it's going. Uh, you know, sometimes we've met the enemy, and it's us. And yeah. In this case, um, I think Fort Lewis is is concerned that because that gate gives instant access into right. Fort Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, we need to have the same uh, totally compliance. You know that they do. It all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, American Lake being the way that it is. <laughs> exactly. um, <laughs> so awesome. I, so I think uh, we've talked about what the units are and what the missions are, but something we rarely talk about on the on the AirGuard side is, is the deployments. And I know they've been extremely busy just over the last 20 plus years. Um, maybe highlight some of the deployments you guys have been on. You bet. So I, th- I think for, for the most part, you can kind of break up our deployments into something that's probably a little bit more unique to the air than the Army. But but we have uh, not only just sort of the overseas deployments that you'd be familiar with, uh, all the great garden spots in the Middle East, but you also have home station deployments. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the 256 uh, on the east side before. Their, their deployment location is their building. You know, they can still be sent other places around the world, but when they activate folks to do national level missions, they come right to, to that building in, in uh, at Fairchild. And we've got the same thing over here with our 194th Intel Squadron. That squadron has been, uh, if, if, you, if you think about it, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details, but if you think about all the different things that have gone on around the world, um, uh, chances are that unit has had some role in, in uh, something going on out there. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those kind of sleepy treasures that we've got right here on Camp Murray that that is doing some really, truly national-level stuff um, from home station. So, And our, our cyber units, they deploy and they do their missions from home. You know, you can remotely access all the things that they need to access, but it's it's a it's a fight from, from your building. Now, you've got the overseas uh, missions as well, and usually the numbers are kind of in the 100 to 120 range, and that's on about every three- to four-year basis uh, for the Air Guard. They're very predictable missions. Uh, they seem to hit the same types of units all the time. Our aviators are, are deployed on, on their frequency that that, uh, that they do. But our, our support folks are usually out the door from four to six months. And, again, going to places in the Middle East, places in Europe, uh, some some places in Asia. We've got the 141st that's going to go to Guam as part of uh, our our Pacific, Pacific sort of. Pacific Defender. Yep, uh, Pacific <laughs> Defender and, and really kind of. This whole pivot to the Pacific, yeah. um, you see all this stuff going on in the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, uh, our folks will be right in the middle of uh, some of that. So wow. that's kind of it for deployments. Um, but Is we've got the 194th out the door right now. Wads, too, right? The few Wads? that RTPU yeah, deployed Wads? to that building, that which the, makes sense. They do. I mean, when, when there's <laughs> kind of an, uh, a big national event, sort of take 9-11, right. you know, they're going to recall everybody. but. Yeah. The majority of their structure is full-time, so there's not a whole lot of extra people to call in. Yeah. But they do have some opportunities uh, uh, to deploy WADs, controllers forward, you okay. know, into um, places like Syria and others that, yeah. that need that kind of help. That does give them an opportunity to get out of the building that uh, has no windows <laughs> and uh, I you know. can't take your phone into. But I don't know how they do it all, the, all day in know. there. That stuff. Surround, we just actually had our, computer screens. our new exec. Uh, uh, came over from Watts, so we've got this loaned uh, lieutenant colonel for the next four or five months and uh, we're talking with him this morning about you know how he's doing and he's trying to get used to sunlight again and <laughs> getting used to the idea of actually being able to check his phone right. whenever he wants to because in the building you just don't get that opportunity yeah 
Yeah. That's awesome. His family's like texting him all day. I know, like, like, we like, know you can oh, see Oh, we can talk now. to you now. <laughs> exactly. Great. Um, so I guess we'll start on your leadership philosophy now. So we, the memo went out, what? Uh, it was back in like January. January. Is that right? Maybe. My memo? Yeah, your yeah. memo. Okay. So with my priorities. Yeah, that, with that your type priorities. Of, that type of thing. Um, your vision. Yes, my vision. So, so really, um, you know, my vision is is kind of. Let me let me break it down this way, and I can kind of go into the specifics that Sounds are on that great. thing. Um, so, so my personal kind of vision is, um, you know, do all the things that you wanted somebody in your position to do when you were at that lower level, but don't turn into the guy that you would have hated. Right. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. so that's that's pretty much the the philosophy that I have in. Uh, I spent a lot of time watching others uh, as I was coming up through the system, and I watched the things that I thought they did well, and I watched the things that I thought that they didn't do well. And uh, so, and I looked at the things in terms of communication styles and what they did and the kind of meetings and the transparency. So, so all those things that shaped me as the guy that, that pretty much wanted to uh, abolish a headquarters, right. you know, when I was at the squadron and, and group level. And then now I find the find myself at the headquarters level. Right. Um, I'm trying to bring in the things that still bothered me, uh, and I try to fix those. You know, so that's really sort of my headquarters philosophy is just you know, uh, fix the things that you wanted to fix at that level, but don't be the guy that you'd have hated. So that has then translated into really my three priorities, same priorities that I uh, uh, coincidentally had as a wing commander, but build and sustain readiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first one, and that really goes to. Uh, kind of an initiative that, that Secretary uh, Mattis had a number of years ago, and that's really taking a look at the fact that the military has fought counterinsurgency wars really since 2001, and we've got out of the business mentally of, of thinking about a major theater fight and a, and a peer, what we call a, a, a near right. peer or peer competitor yeah. fight. So, so what we've had is when I was a, a young squadron commander looking at, at I, I mean, I knew my readiness numbers. I, I knew them inside and out. I knew... Uh, what I needed to do to to get from 89% to 90% readiness, and, and I mean, that was my focus. And then, you know, we get, you know, pretty much post 9-11 hitting, and, and w- I think we've lost that. I think we've lost the ability as, as commanders and leadership teams to really understand what the Air Force, in, in our case in particular, has said, this is your mission. Right. You need to go be able to train to this mission and do this mission. This is what you need to know, and this is what you need to be able to take. And these are the kind of things that your people need to know. And I think we've lost that a little bit, a little atrophy. So that whole build and sustain readiness was really a thing that, that, that one, it was an acknowledgement that we had something to build. Because right. there were people in the formation that thought, you know, we already have readiness. Why are we talking about building it? You know, and then I would ask a couple very pointed questions. And then they would see that, yeah, there is some room to build. And then the, the piece of sustained readiness is really built around the idea that, um, you know, you don't want this uh, peaks and valleys, you know, sort of right. deal where you work really, really hard, you get on top of the hill, and then you coast, and then you fall down for a couple of years, and you wind back up again. So so if you have a, a culture and a process that sustains readiness and and you're sort of, you know, think continuous improvement, you know, in kind of a CPI frame, but... But if you're, if you're trying to sustain that, and, and everybody's thinking about the idea of, hey, once you build it, it's better to, to, to maintain it than re- recreate it. And then how do you have all your training events and how do you have all your exercises and everything that you do builds into lines of effort that build and sustain readiness. So that was kind of the first goal. Um, second one is, is near and dear to me, and this is sort of the idea of don't fail an airman. Right. Um, 
you know, I don't think anybody here comes to work with the idea that, that we're going to fail an airman, right. you know, but you know, things like, uh, things that would frustrate me, uh, at, at the, at the unit level, um, why does headquarters take 30 days or 60 days or 90 days to process paperwork? Why does it take so long for a signature to happen? You right. know, so, so every one of those things, when I would explain them to commanders, uh, were, were in, in, in my mind, failing an airman. Because what we have to understand is that everything that we sign and everything that we do, there's a human on the other end of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's no further clear to me than if there's a promotion, you know. Um, and I look at all the things that I have to sign for the day, you know, and there's some routine stuff. But, but I always sort of go, okay, what, what are the things that are really going to have an impact? Of the, one, I sign everything every day for the most part. Right. But uh, it's just a personal thing for me. But, but two, what are the things that, again, um, should not be held up uh, another millisecond? And so, so this whole idea of, of don't fail an airman is, is, is built around this idea that, that uh, we are all servant leaders and, and our mind should be made up every day to come to work and, and focus on what can we do for someone else. Uh, not what we can do for me, but what we can right. do for somebody else. And uh, try to push that thing through the structure. And I, I think, you know, again, it builds a better team when everybody knows that everybody's got their best interests in mind with every decision that you make. Um, and the last one really is, is just sort of develop the feature. And that sort of takes a couple paths. Uh, one path is really kind of what we would think of normal professional development. And that's, you know, I didn't get here on my own. Right. Uh, you know, sort of like, uh, kind of like the example of if you see a, a, a turtle on a fence post somewhere, you know, he didn't get there on his own. Right. Um, we all didn't get here uh, on our own. Some of us were deliberately developed. Some uh, were, were sort of developed and maybe they didn't really realize it. But we all as leaders uh, owe it to the structure that we leave behind um, to leave behind the best that we can. So development of the future is not only the personnel side, but also the mission side and the facility side and everything else that, that goes along with the idea that um, decisions that we are making now are going to affect people in 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So whether or not we're pushing hard for new facilities or pushing hard on new missions that may be, you know, sort of like the, the Wayne Gretzky thing of skate to where the, right. the puck is going, not to where the puck is. Right. So that development feature sort of falls along those lines as well. But that's kind of what guides me is, is sort of those three things. And um, I push those out and, you know, the wings for the most part have adopted those. And I think they're going to kind of change their own pieces a little bit. But um, that was, that's what works for us. Yeah. So I, I was just kind of listening to it, it's all it all falls under servant leadership. Do you feel like that may be something that gets lost every once in a while with ebbs and flows of generations and how they kind of look at servant leadership? And, um, you know, we, we tend to forget that we, we serve others as leaders, not ourselves. Yes, I, I think it does get lost. And I've, I've tried to analyze that whole idea of, you know, where do you hit the point in your career where, you know, you're a true servant leader? Because right. I, I think when you, you know, you go through all the you know, the NCO development courses and the officer development courses, and they teach you how to be a servant leader. But yet you look at, you know, the structure and you can identify some that are servant leaders, but, but a lot are, are still, you know, what do I need to do to get promoted? What do I need to do to get this thing to happen to me? Right. What do I do to get deployed? And, and I've had that in my career, you know, plenty of that, you know, but there's a point where uh, you realize that, you know, hey, it's not about you, you know, and it's about others. And, you know, at some point, you know, your career is going to be dictated by things that you can't control, you know. And I think for me, I, you know, I started to look at it that I, I think if we start to provide folks better transparency in their career, 
and certainly on the officer side, you know, we've, we've instituted some things on the air where, you know, we do some force management. We, we, we actually, you know, uh, deliberately develop people. We have kind of a rotation plan for folks. The army does a pretty good job at this, but the air for the most part, up until really the last half a decade or so, it was done on a bar napkin somewhere and only a few people knew about it. And, um, you know, even the people that, that, that thought that they were in the know didn't know. So I think if you put some transparency on some processes, you get a lot more trust. And then I think if you have a lot more trust and people know where they're headed, uh, you're going to find maybe some less selfish behavior, you know, and then less selfish behavior is going to lead into a little bit more servant leadership. So it's kind of a little bit of a formula. I think a little bit of it too is personality based off of like how people conceive their own leadership and how they see them getting forward. And I think it's starting to change for sure because more and more I've seen more servant leader driven style I think it's just one of those things that's just, it's going to take a while. Well, and I think, you know, we kind of hit it a little bit before earlier, but, but you, you sort of go back to that point that I made uh, a few minutes back, and that was what have you, you know, it's sort of like a, we talked about Chief Almond. Yeah. You know, well, Chief Almond's predecessor was, was uh, Chief Tyvan, you know, and, and Chief Tyvan, every time I would see him, you know, he, hey, sir, how you doing? What have you done for your airmen today? You know, right. and he would, he would ask me that question, and I thought, well, what do you mean, chief? You know, I do stuff for everyone all the time, you know, but, but it made me really think about, you know, every day, every day you got to commit yourself to doing something that is going to impact somebody positively, right? you know, or, or a group of people positively, you know, and that just has to be your goal. And I think if you go to work every day with the goal that I will not leave until I've done something, you know, do your one good deed, yep. you know, as a boy scout, you know, um, I think that sort of gets everybody, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an easy thing to focus on to remember to be that servant leader. I agree. That's my yeah. favorite style of leadership. No, it's totally. <laughs> Sarah and I, so being, uh, working on my master's in leadership, Sarah, here's all the stuff I usually come out of from class. Like, hey, I just learned this in this class. So, uh, and well, serving leadership. Books are, books are one thing. and Doing and it is the other the, thing. Yeah. The, the hard road of, of the, the actual street that you have to yeah. walk is, is a different, but books will, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time studying different things, and I'm to the point where I think I've spent my last day in a classroom. And, yeah. and some people, oh, I'm always a forever learner. I think I've done my last class, but I also think that uh, you know you can you can build up you know a repertoire of things by reading, but you can also build up a more of a repertoire of things by doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always more the doer yep. than the reader. One of my favorite um, podcasts that I listen to, there's a guy, and he was on there, and that was his whole thing is is everybody was asking him how did you get to this point how did you do this and he's like I stopped just like I made my decision to do something and then I didn't I didn't just wait and research Mm -hmm. and look at all of the things that could happen and might happen and what I should plan for he's like I started doing that and then I thought well I should just I should just do it and see if I can and then if I can't then I'll go back and and try something else but if you just do it then you're not wasting your time well, that's that's exactly it. I mean, I, I think Amazon has coined the phrase, um, uh, basically, uh, what the heck was it? Hold this one. I just I had it. And I, I missed it. <laughs> uh, okay, so so it's it's a bias for action. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. So so and that's if you live your life with a bias for action, yeah. you know, then you're not going to run into this sort of piece of analysis by paralysis. Right. You know, and that's where you know, and and this is the other thing too on leadership is. You can't be afraid to, to take some risk, right? Yep. you know, and I think one of the things that, that, that I've learned, I've always been a risk taker. I mean, I'll tell you exactly what I'm always thinking. And, and that, 
that has worked for me. But, you know, I also sort of come to work with the idea that I could get fired every day. Right. You know? yeah. And and I'm going to leave nothing on the on the you know, nothing on the field. I'm going to give you all I've got, right. but, but I don't go to work from a risk averse standpoint, yeah. you know, and, but people do, you know, and, and if you're risk averse, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to take that, that extra step that your people are looking yeah. for and, and take a risk for them and make a decision with, with their best interests in mind, because it may have a, about this may, exact have some, yeah, issue may have some blowback on you. With the 81st leadership and about how the military has, recently in recent years been very risk averse even Mm -hmm. with training and they're like you have to be willing to take these risks especially during training so that you can get the type of leadership and knowledge that you're you're going after but yeah the risk aversion is something that that, you know i've been trying to beat that out as as much as we can and i think that's that's going to be the slow burn right there i I mean even now with COVID and and the orders that people are on and some orders expire and what does that mean and right you know, what it means is the president signed a, a memo a couple of days ago that says the mission's going to extend. We're going to extend right. the orders whether or not we have the DOD stuff or not. Yeah. Because that's, you know, we have the clear intent to do yep. that. Don't let the don't let the admin piece, you know, confine you and hold you back. Right. Because it, it will. Yep. For yeah. sure. Speaking, I mean, so speaking of the state activation we're currently in with COVID, uh, from the Air Guard standpoint, how is everybody kind of doing with the, the continuous kind of burn through? I mean, that's it's... We're now into almost five months right. doing it. And so I think th- there's a couple thoughts on that. Um, one is is a big one for me, and this is sort of like I talked about the things that I learned from those that went before me, and the things that I, I learned to to look at uh, as something I would I would repeat, and then something that I looked at as as I would not repeat. Uh, one of the things that that I think is said about the Air Guard um, uh, in the past is that they just didn't participate in, in joint ops and the domestic missions. You know, it's easy to say, well, hey, I'm a cyber professional or I'm a pilot or I'm a whatever. Um, I, I'm not going to go pick up a shovel and right. learn how to fight fire or I'm not going to pick up a, a baton and a, and a riot shield and go up to Seattle and, and do what it takes for Spokane. But I think now that the culture has really shifted and, and I, I would say really kind of starting with uh, probably General Tui, General Horn, and, and then now me, of the Air Guard is a um, proportional and reliable player in, in domestic ops. So... Mm-hmm. One of the things I look at and, and the team looks at is whatever comes down, you know, the first thing that General Dent and I work out is, you know, how much of this do you want, you know, and we try to break that up in, into something that's fair. Um, and then uh, you look at the COVID missions that we've got. So never in my wildest uh, imagination would I have thought that, um, you know, we'd be doing all the different things that we're doing now. And then you throw the uh, civil disservice pieces on, on top of that and, you know, and you're in an election year and you're in a very politically charged environment right now. And uh, we're asking some people to do some pretty amazing things and they're doing them awesome. Um, you know, I mean, you take the you take the riots, for instance. You know, we took people that are have never been trained in civil right. disturbance. Yeah. and yeah. I covered their up, training. Yeah. And, and ran them through a shake and bake training mm-hmm. course for, for four hours and and put them up in Seattle. And we had. Uh, cyber professionals and officers and, and yes. you name it and yeah. old and young and uh, all kinds of folks but they they did it because they they felt strong in, in what that mission was and then these are folks that for a lot of their career they've been told uh, thanks for your service and right. here's your military discount yeah. and you go throw them up behind the seattle police uh on the east precinct and they're called every name in the book right and uh so you had some people that that i, I think went through some some questioning about 
what am I doing and how am I doing this and why am I here and things like that. But, but it was a, a good experience because that's, you know, that's the society that, that, you know, we all represent. I mean, you know, that, that, you know, very, very strong demonstration side to, you know, uh, you, you name it. I mean, but they saw a lot of pieces. But, you know, back to the point of, you know, how's everybody doing? I, I, I think we're to the point where we're honestly out of volunteers. And, you know, we've got to, as leadership, try to keep these missions modulated, you know, in the, in the sense that, you know, we don't have non-vols because, again, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the long-term retention aspects of that. Right. Um, and, and, but I also see that, that a lot of the missions that we're doing now are, are providing a source of stability for yes. guardsmen. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a job when they didn't have a job, um, you know, right after COVID and all the layoffs. Right. Hit. So, so there's sort of, what's that number, probably around 600 between the Army and the Air that, that will endure, you know, at least now until the 31st of December. But, you know, talking with the boss yesterday, I mean, you know, this thing, this thing called COVID response ops is going to continue on until there's a, till at least a vaccine and, yeah. you know, a, a good chunk of the population is not, you know, throwing this thing around to their, their neighbors and friends all the time. Or you'll have people like me who have to take their kid into work with them. Yeah. And yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> well, and I think that's a huge challenge that's going to really hit us, um, Come you know, this fall September. with all these, yeah, yes. all these schools. Yeah. So I, our I school has already come yeah. out that yeah. they're online well, so for the I beginning. Mean, my wife's a paraeducator, so she's, you know, how do, how do you teach kids from home? Right. You know, so now you have all these parents that, uh, you know, especially, um, you know, maybe sort of younger than junior high, where how do you keep a child focused on that during the day uh, when you're working? Yes. You know, so so we got to, you know, really I'll be interested sure to see at, how that goes. Well, we're, we're looking at telework really by exception, but but just, you know, I, I think at least for the air side, I mean, our, our perspective on it is, um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to make the necessary adjustments that right. we need to make because it makes sense and we value the people that work for us. But, um, but also folks have to think through, you know, before you try to get to, hey, telework's the easy button. Right. You know, what did you try to do to kind of get there yeah. before? For sure. Yeah, one thing. So um, for those that are listening that, that follow your, your Facebook page, um, and he's constantly updating it, which is fantastic. One thing you brought up was uh, using those those brand new members mm-hmm. that haven't even gone through basic training yet on the air guard side. Um that that's a I think a fantastic way because that takes a, a member right off the street who signed up that day, and they could be working at a food bank a week later. Yep. I think that uh, it's absolute genius. So, well, thanks. Well, let me talk on that for just two seconds. Well, actually, it'll be a little bit more than two seconds. But but here's the thing. So one of those things. Good, because I was going to time you. No, don't time me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Long winded. But but hey, here, here's the thing. So when you get to the point in your life where. Uh, your children are old enough to be uh, some of those folks that are in your recruit sustainment program and your student flight, your view starts to change a little bit, you know, and your view changes a little bit as a leader because you look at those folks and go, I hope that, that their parents have enough confidence in me as a leader to do the right things for them when we're entrusted with them on, on a drill weekend. So, so I look at the student flight as, you know, so how would I want to treat my own kids? Um, And how would I want somebody to treat, you know, if, if I was, you know, in, in, in a new recruits, uh, family, you know, I'd want to know that they were doing something valuable for their time. So, so from the air perspective, sometimes it takes six months to a year to get folks off to school. Right. And, uh, so it's, it's sort of like listening to a, you know, to a record. I mean, at, at some point the record's going to end. And if you're still in the program, the record's going to start over, you know, mm-hmm. again. And sometimes we have people in these student flights that they've been in long enough that they've heard the same speeches time and time again, and they're bored. Mm-hmm. They want to get, 
you know, they want some, uh, you know, no offense to all the vegetarians and vegans out there, but they want to sink their teeth into some red meat. Right. They want to do something. So, so we looked at this thing and, and honestly, um, it was one of those things that, that this is why you got to be open to feedback because, you know, we had kind of thought about student flight, you know, but we had immediately dismissed it as a, Hey, that's too hard to get to. And, and they can't do federal missions. Right. So when I was over in Spokane a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I had a, a great uh, female senior NCO ask me, hey, why can't we use student flight in state active duty? And and that literally was was a was a was a question that I pondered all weekend right. long. And, uh, you know, the initial answer from the lawyer is you can't use it. And, you know, like they say about lawyers, you know, if you don't like the answer, you right. like keep ask, find it. Yeah. Ask another lawyer. Ask, ask another, another lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> you know, and, and the answer you want to get from lawyers is is yeah. to get to yes, but. Right. My and mother was an Air got. Force JAG my okay. whole life, so. Yeah, no offense to, to <laughs> Colonel Barons if he's listening, but but that was one that you know the first answer wasn't going to work for me. Right. And now we got to the you know we got to the answer, but not only is it is it beneficial for the people that just enlisted or have been in that program right. to actually do something and feel like they, yeah. they contributed, um, you know it's it's huge because we're at the point where we're out of volunteers. Yeah. So every student flight person that wants to come in is another person that don't have to drag away from their civilian job or their right. family or their special circumstance that you know has kept them out of this deployment till till now. And so they can start making money before they And they, they can go. make some money. Exactly. It's, it's about, uh, in fact, when I first put that out, uh, a retired member on the air side said, hey, sir, fact check that. You know, is that really double the minimum wage? And I said, yeah, that's that's the state minimum rate for, for state activity. So, you know, 20 some odd dollars an hour, about 230 yeah. bucks a day is, yeah. is, a, is a pretty good job. Yes. Uh, yes. While you're waiting to yes. go to training. Especially for a young kid waiting to go to training. I mean, I, I stop and I think, so when I joined the Guard, was December and I didn't leave until June and so you've got seven months waiting and I'm going to school but that money would have been extremely valuable yeah. to have right but just think of the experience that you're going to get I mean the, the fact that you're going to go in and do these missions and you're going to be circulating well, with and military. you can talk to the talk NCOs to senior and others and other members exactly. and get a you're better feel and then when you get to basic training or yep. your basic yeah, your, school, your chances of completing that are 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 you know, pretty high anyways, but now right. you've got, you, you know, the, you know, sort of that, sort and of that confidence. why you've got the why, you know, why we do this before you even go to training. Right. But also look, I think that would also instill some confidence too. Like I'm, I know that this is what I want to do, which right. if you know, that's what you want to do, you can, whatever they throw yeah. at you mm -hmm. at the schoolhouse, you can take it. And it's like no offense to student flight or RSP on the army side, but you're all in the same boat when you're there with your peers you know none of them have gone through basic training right. or, or tech right. school or ait and now you've actually are there with senior ncos and senior enlisted members that are saying hey it's not as bad or it's yeah it's like no, this, it's just this it's, is what it's, to expect and you know it's one it of those is things the way that it is yeah. and, and that's what they always tell them yeah no it's just it's it's a I, i'm really excited to see how that thing works out and i know we're just mobilizing our first crew of of student flight folks doing state active duty but I just, I, I really, I really look forward to seeing how that works for those folks. Yeah, that'll be very interesting. Awesome. I don't have any other questions. Uh, I mean, I would kind of, I'd say, you know, where do we take the air guard moving forward? Yeah. Kind of mm -hmm. what's your. So um, I, I think we're in a phase right now where, where a couple things are going on. So one, I, I was pretty big on uh, really trying to get the 141st, uh, their airplanes again. Uh, this is pre-COVID and it's still something on my mind. It was interesting because. Uh, the tag and I were actually headed down to AMC for, for their all-tag fly-in mm -hmm. in May to really kind of start uh, laying the groundwork uh, with the staff there about really trying to get 
you know, uh, unit equipped airplanes back in, in Washington State. But Those are the KC-135s? KC-135s. Okay. Um, you know, the Air Force has gone to the new tanker mm -hmm. and, you know, as they divest uh, KC-135s. Um, bring them over. You know, bring them to the Guard. Yeah. So so if you look at the, the National Guard's capstone principle or principles, one of them is, is uh, unit equipped aircraft in every state. And that... Uh, that goes back to we only have two, and that's the C-26 right. and one on a, on a pole. <laughs> so if we get our own aircraft, uh, it, it really brings back um, guard pride. Right. Yeah. You know, and it was one of those things where, you know, there is a difference. There is a difference in maintenance, and there is a difference in standards. When, when you would get on a, a Air National Guard, a Washington Air National mm -hmm. Guard tanker, and you could literally eat off the floor. Right. Yeah. Because the maintenance folks took pride into that instead of just an airplane that they were fixing for the day right. to, to get flying. So now it doesn't I'll tell belong you, to them. Well and, you and know. yeah, and it's it's just it's it's about pride. Yeah. And uh, and the one forty first is working on everything that they literally can about, you know, trying to be able to get, you know, X amount of jets loaned to them. Right. You know, that they can actually uh, do the maintenance on before it flies, do the maintenance on after it flies, turn it again to fly again with guard crews. So right. So that's that's a good step, but but again, I'm I'm not going to be happy until we get uh, we get our own airplanes again. But I also think that you know we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The association is working well in in certain areas. I think you 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 take the best of both worlds. You don't disassociate, but maybe you have a different structure than than maybe what you have now. Uh, and then certainly wads, I, I think is is going to continue to be a, a really important mission for the nation as as long as there are airplanes uh, flying around in the skies and and uh, you know. That's that's we learned that in 9-11. In we had turned all of our attention outside the country and, and now we, we need to turn it inside. But I also think that WADS is, is again, focused on the internal threats. But uh, as uh, you know, the Russians, you know, as they get a little bit more active and and as we see certain things uh, change a little bit in the Pacific in Europe, I think that 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 traditional mission of keeping an eye for for the bombers, you know, right. coming in is, is going to be, you know, it, it's already back. But. But they're, you know, they're in a good spot. I think the thing for, for you know, like WADS is just keeping up with technology and then making sure that, again, they are, you know, th th they are not obsolete. So, and then certainly for the 194th, um, I, I think that they're still in a point of catching their breath. I mean, they re- I mean, but and they're so important yeah. They right are. Now. So busy. They are. I mean, I those are those are what yeah. we call sunrise missions. I yeah. mean, there's, there's really not a mission there that... Uh, that I would want to trade out for, for something new right now. No. So really the focus is be really good at what you're doing now, mm -hmm. you know, get good at that. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of units, I mean, across the country are still looking at, you know, what, what do they want to be when they grow up? Right. Well, I think we have grown up at least for the, the next decade or two. Well, and I think especially with those cyber yeah. missions, they're evolving right all the time. Yeah. As the threats change. In yeah. The cyber no, exactly. Space so, landscape, it so again, back to the it. point that, you know, I, I think we're we're right in that sweet spot yeah. where we want to be for, for at least certainly well through my tenure and probably my, you know, successor or two. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> but no. yeah, definitely. Anything else you want to add, sir? I guess the only thing with yeah. the cyber missions though is the election coming up. Are yeah. they good, still good tuned in yep. with the state helping out with where they can? Uh, they are. In fact, we've got folks on mission right now. So through the primary, and yeah. then we're we're gonna uh, have folks uh, on duty looking at some things for the right. general election. You see, I mean, just across the country right yeah. now, what kind of attention is is being placed on the idea of mail-in voting? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and this is something that you know we've done in Washington State now for about a decade. Right, a long time. Um, a long time. And and you know, it's a it's a it's a really secure system. Right. And certainly in a in an environment where. 
you don't want to be around a whole bunch of people. It, yeah. it kind of works well for us. So we're kind of at the, I would say the leading edge of, of you know, not only just sort of the, the, the vote by mail technology, right. but just the, the idea that, um, you know, we can have the National Guard have a partnership with the Secretary of State who has been awesome to work with uh, through this whole thing, but just have that kind of partnership and right. be able to then sort of take that process and export that across the country. So, so we're, we've always been very willing to share yeah. uh, all of our all of our TTPs, but this is one that yeah we're we're doing it right now. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's it. I always think like the Air Guard should have always thought about the Air Guard at least once <laughs> in my. I mean, my mom was Air still Force. There's still room, Joe. You know, still, still <laughs> there's still hope. My mom was Air Force, and every time people learn that about me, they're like, "Why did you join the Army?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, for those listening that aren't following, it's uh, Commander Washington Air National Guard on Facebook. I know you're on Twitter and as well. all of the links will be in the show yep. notes. And we'll put those in the show notes. And, uh, and you should tune in every Friday for General Walsh's updates. update, back brief posts. I think they're, they're excellent. They're we share them, on our we share them on our Washington National Guard page as well. Yeah. Great. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing that. Uh, all right. Hopefully they've been somewhat non-controversial. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. It thank is you very, thank you very much, <laughs> sir. All right.